Welcome to Indigenous Success. Doing it, thinking it, being it. With Dr. Caitlin Barney and Professor Tracy Bunder. Hi, I'm Caitlin and welcome to our podcast series, Indigenous Success, Doing It, Thinking It, Being It. We'd like to start the podcast by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands we're recording this today and pay our respects to their ancestors and their descendants who continue to have strong spiritual and cultural connections to country. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where you are listening from today and pay our respects to them as well. So the podcast series focuses on what works in outreach programs for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander school students. The series is part of a suite of resources developed from an equity fellowship that I undertook that was funded by the National Centre for Student Equity in Higher Education in 2020. And it focuses on success factors that are based on key findings from the fellowship. Each episode is an interview with an Indigenous staff member or university student about aspects of effective outreach programs. I'm a non-Indigenous woman born and raised on Jagger and Turrbal country and I'm joined by my co-host and colleague Professor Tracy Bunder who was part of the Indigenous Advisory Group on the Fellowship. Thanks Caitlin. My name is Tracy Bunder as Caitlin said. I'm the head of the academic programs at the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies Unit at UQ but moreover I am a Noogie Waka Waka woman and I too pay my respects to the traditional owners of country where Caitlin and I are recording today. Also to pay respects to the traditional owners and ancestors of the countries of people who are listening into the podcast. As Caitlin said, the podcast series is called Indigenous Success doing it, thinking it, being it. And there are multiple understandings of success. It's a bit tricky to be able to nail down success and what it means for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And when I was thinking about this, Caitlin, I was thinking from my own experience, you know, from my life experience, I draw upon that. Mm. I also draw upon my cultural experience and the leadership that I saw around me within my family and community Mm. and how that informed success and how both those things then influence um, the type of leaders that we want to be in our practice and uh, both for the present and in the future doesn't mean it's necessarily fixed because our experiences are changing all the time. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, you'll hear Caitlin and I interchange between um, saying Indigenous, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, and we'll also say, you know, First Nations sometimes. I know that's all a bit controversial to use the word Indigenous, but we do, mm-hmm. you know, we do use it where we where we are located, just to confirm that we'll be interchanging between those those sort of namings. And we also want to just um, note that we hope the podcast is useful for outreach practitioners generally who are working with um, Mm. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students, but also we hope it's of interest to people in higher education with an interest in student success and student equity generally as well. Today we're focusing on the key role of student ambassadors in outreach programs for Indigenous students and our guest is Olivia Williams, who's an honours student at the University of Melbourne. Welcome, Olivia. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you and Nadia Olivia, you're Madilanya Badu Kuri, my mumba from Lithgow, Wiradjuri country. I was born and raised on Birupai country in the mid-north coast of New South Wales, and I now live and study in um, Melbourne on Bunurong and Wadangeri country. One of the things that I wanted to ask, you said that you're an honours student. How? What was your pathway into university? So I finished year 12 in 2015. My school didn't offer much support for those wanting to study interstate and I also didn't receive much encouragement from my school for studying interstate. There was doubts about my financial ability to do that. Mm-hmm. My sister, though, had studied at the University of Melbourne before me and she played a key role in encouraging me to study arts at the University of Melbourne. Also, my mum was really proactive in learning the VTAC application system. She didn't go to university herself, but she was really invested in my success. To be honest, conversations about university often ended in tears. The pressure of studying for your HSC um, and looking towards university was a lot at times. And my school only offered it a skeleton structure of the HSC range of subjects. So I didn't mm-hmm. know what studying anthropology or criminology or psychology would mean. So mm-hmm. when I'm trying to apply for things, it was all these big conversations and trying to study for your final exams um, was overwhelming. Nonetheless, I persevered or more my mum persevered in making me persevere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I applied and I was successful in my application to the University of Melbourne, but I deferred my place for a year before commencing study in 2016. Okay, so all power to mums, mm-hmm. particularly because they've studied um, the VTAC form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She deserves the degree, Olivia, for studying, <laughs> for studying those forms alone. So um, when you did get into your BA program, and I think the other interesting thing before I go on mm. is the way in which you've come into that particular university because you had family breaking ground yeah, that's right. in, yeah, mm. in front of you, mm. you know, that makes it a little bit easier as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it absolutely felt like that. Yeah. Um, my sister had, you know, participated in programs in science, so she knew she wanted to do science, but she would always bring me down to Melbourne and introduce me to people at the university and she definitely had a foot in the door for me to follow behind. When you did get into the BA program, did you major in any particular studies there, Olivia? majored in sociology and Australian Indigenous Studies. Okay, and then you're taking that on into your honours program. That's correct. Okay, and so what's your focus in your honours program, could I ask? Yeah, I mean, it's week nine, (laughs) um, so it's all still falling into place, but it's something around Australian national identity and Australian rules football and the way in which Aboriginality is either included on the field or relegated to the bench you know it's like we can have athletic aboriginal bodies on the australian football pitch but we can't have displays of aboriginality that aren't accounted for so you know nikki winmar pointing at his skin Mm. is a threat in the same way that adam good's doing a war dance is a threat but if we know at dream time at the g there's going to be a dance and it's you know permitted and there's notice and we know what's going to happen that Mm. sort of um display of aboriginality is deemed as okay hell no to displays of warriorship Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, like spontaneous. We don't know it's going to happen. You can't be Aboriginal on a football play on a football field. You just need to be a footballer. Well, you can't be. You can't be scary mm. warrior. Mm-hmm. Pr- those sorts of presentations, but a nice uh, passive uh, dance to open the. You know, Dreamtime at the G, that's a different sort of story. Mm. So, Olivia, you participated in some outreach programs while you were at school. Could you tell us a bit about your experience as a school student and, you know, a bit about that? 
Yeah, I participated in two programs, one at Sydney University and one at Trinity College, Melbourne. The one at Sydney University was only for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students, whereas the one at Trinity College, Melbourne was mainstream. Coming from a regional town, there's novelty in going to the city by yourself, you know, without your family. This is a big opportunity to be pushed out of your comfort zone as a young person. Now and in school, I love socialising, so the highlight of those programs was always around the dinner table and the fun activities that they put on. Uh, But they're also a good opportunity to get exposure to university, you know, what it even looks like, and you can start to imagine yourself in these big buildings and doing this sort of work. And was there a difference, Olivia, for you? So one was... Um, specifically for the mob mm-hmm. and then you were saying ones you know mainstream white stream so was there a difference there I think so now I look back the connections I've maintained have only been from the Blackfella camp the other one I, I don't think I was as present at it was a young leaders program and um, you know all these school captains and all people who'd done different leadership programs and were really high achievers I don't think I got as much out of that program in terms of connecting with other people. That's an interesting point, I think. You know, when you go with mob, there's a sort of sense of safety and comfort, huh? Yeah. What interested you in becoming an ambassador uh, for those outreach camp programs? I've only ever been an ambassador on programs for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students. And I wanted to be part of it because I thought it was important that prospective students see people like them already doing the thing they're aspiring to do. Didn't make sense to me to be having outreach programs run by non-Indigenous people because it implies that blackfellas aren't at the university. So it's a bit of a stretch for students then to, you know, promise them all these things and it's going to be great and it's going to be this if they're not resonating with the story of those who are leading them throughout this experience. So that's what really drew me to it. I just wanted to connect with young people and connect with their stories and for them to see similarities so that they can see it's a, it really is a possibility. And that sense of giving back to the community as well. I mean, mm. there's a sense that you were mirroring what your sister had done for you. Mm. And have you maintained some of those connections you've made with students? Uh, you know, when you were an ambassador with school students, have you maintained some of those networks and connections? Yeah, it's special now. Some of the students who were participants on the programs I mentored on are now coming through the university. Special being their peer. And, you know, although I'm no longer in that formal ambassador role, you sort of still maintain it because that's how they've known you and they're still going to come to you for advice and they resonated with part of your story. So that's really special. But then also hearing, you know, where their peers ended up um, and then you see them at events, you know, community events, you'll be at a NAIDOC event or Indigenous Nationals or something and you see these students again. So, yeah, it's special. Mm. Olivia, when you are with the students, with the students who are on the programs where you were an ambassador, what kinds of things are they looking for from you, you know? Can you just give us a, yeah. um, a little bit of an understanding of, you know, the mentoring that you're doing in that? I think they just want reassurance. It's just a lot of self-doubt from themselves or from their schools and their peers that are putting on them that, It was the same for me. I mentioned it before, you know, there was doubts that I would financially be able to come interstate all the way to Melbourne and, you know, was coached to not be following such a pathway. And they're just looking for the same reassurance that they can do it, not only financially, but also that there's a community here, that there's support here, that 
although you'll be moving away from home, there's ways you can get home and ways you can stay in contact with home. So they're asking those sorts of questions of, I don't want to move away from my family. What's it going to be like? And mm. how, how am I, you know, what are, how are all these changes going to work? And I'm going to be the first one in my university. And it's that reassurance of I'm going to be the first one in my family to go to university. And it's that reassurance that other people share your story and there is support here. And it, has been done and it can be done by them too. Of course, they ask questions too about the logistics of study. You know, I want to do this. How do I end up doing this? I want to go be a nurse in my community. What does that look like? How do I do that? Where do I have to go? How long is it going to take me? They just want to ask those questions about themselves and how they can make their aspirations come true. Yeah, deadly. Do you usually stay on campus with those students when you do? Is that usually how it works? Yes, usually they'll be hosted at a college, like a residential college, and I'll be sleeping in the room next to them. And it'll be go, go, go from sun up to sun yeah, down. It's washing, yeah, it's washing <laughs> shirts, it's get up for breakfast, it's where's your yeah. bus pass, where's this, where's that, get a water bottle, get a hat. You don't get much sleep, huh? This podcast is talking about Indigenous success, doing it, thinking it, being it. What do you think Indigenous success means? I think we're becoming more comfortable with the idea that success is about doing your personal best. It's not synonymous with, you know, how much money you have or your education level or the number of friends you have. And I think as we grow as individuals, we move past these rigid definitions anyway. But for me, Indigenous success is about Gary Yala, speak truth. It's about speaking your truth, knowing your truth and living in accordance with that truth it makes my heart sore seeing mob uh, not following their truth of course we have to try things and sometimes we wander away from our journey but ultimately there are certain things that keep calling us back that inspire us and resonate with our spirits I've seen mob come here to university interested in studying at uni only to find that their passion lies somewhere else like hospitality or aged care or community work Rather than force themselves to stay at uni, these people accept their truth and act accordingly. Mm. And to me, this is success in the same way that someone who comes in here and says, I want to be a lawyer and goes on to do the Juris Doctorate Mm. is also a successful person. So overall, you know, Olivia, what role do you think that, you know, student ambassadors or mentors, sometimes they're also called, you know, have a role to play in terms of supporting Indigenous students to transition to uni? Can you talk a bit about that? I think it's, again, those things of seeing yourself in the story of someone else. Um, I think you can do all the competency training in the world and you can read the Koori Mail and love Kathy Freeman, but ultimately lived experience is hard to beat. So young people looking up to people in a position that they would like to be helps them to imagine what that transition would look like. And, of course, they have the opportunity to ask those questions and receive reassurance about, about what they're doing and how they can Mm. make things possible. Are there any other experiences that you'd like to talk about? I just think from my experience on outreach programs and, you know, observing and participating that there's two things that people who are leading these programs or facilitating these programs should keep in mind. And it's firstly that it's important of course, the academic or whatever the particular focus of the camp might be, it is important to deliver on that. But also recognise if the program's only for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students, 
Community building is also important and facilitating opportunities for that is important. So it's things like having yarning circles or, you know, sporting activities or games or social dinners and things like that because these are the things that students will also move forward with is these connections. They're going to cross paths again, whether it's at university or in the workplace or out and about socially, and it's important that they get time to make those connections. Hmm. And secondly, I think it's important not to get bogged down in the academic side of it Yes, you might be hosting a science camp and science is an important part, but all your ambassadors don't need to be from the science faculty. Students, you know, they might be year eight students and they ha- they like their science class. They don't know if they're going to go th- through and study science. So having people who are also doing arts, mm. design, other faculties so that they can talk to those people as well and have those conversations. Just about exposing students to the possibility of university and a number of pathways, not only one pathway. Thanks for this conversation, Tina, and we really hope that you go well with your studies. And Caitlin and I are all girls, so we're going to look out for for your um, young shining star coming out of Melbourne University in the future. Thank you, Bob. Oh, bless you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Caitlin and I both want to thank you for joining this podcast series, Indigenous Success, Doing It, Thinking It, and being it. If you've got any questions about this podcast or any of the other podcasts that you may have listened to, please contact Caitlin on her email address, k.barney, that is B-A-R-N-E-Y, k.barney at uq.edu.au. Thank you very much. And we hope that you'll join us in the future.